Welcome to the WashU Alumni Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm with Bryce Bagley. Bryce is a class of 2018 uh, graduate of the engineering school, and he actually is part of the dual degree program. Bryce, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. So if we could start out, um, can you tell us about your decision to come to WashU and kind of how that all started? Uh, yeah, bit of a bit of a long story, but I was raised in an odd sort of religious community. Um, and so coming out of high school, it was for all intents and purposes mandatory that I go attend a religious college. Um, that was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to attend a research university. Uh, so I, I found one that had this dual degree program. Um, and at that point I was like, okay, I'll, I'll like, I'll transfer to Columbia in a few years and you wash you. Um, and then Columbia offered absolutely no financial aid and WashU offered me uh, a full ride plus like a living stipend uh, via fellowship, um, which made the choice very obvious. And in retrospect, I couldn't be happier that it turned out that way because some of the things that are taught at the engineering school in WashU, particularly I, I studied systems engineering and CS there, and you can't really find systems engineering at the vast majority of other places. Um, particularly with the sort of flavor with which it's it's provided at WashU, um, so I'm very grateful for how things ended up on all on all accounts. So then, uh, just to recap, that dual degree program means you did you actually got degrees from both uh, WashU as well as I believe Whitworth. Yes, that's correct. And I then did you a did degree in in biophysics at Whitworth. Right. So you you were actually there at Whitworth for three years mm -hmm. and essentially ex did kind of like an accelerated program, uh, if you will. Um, but then also shared some of the requirements with WashU so that you didn't have to do all of the prereqs, if you will, when you came to WashU. So then you spent an additional two years at WashU? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I basically did sort of the standard like intro physics. I mean, I, I, I was in a physics major, so like the intro physics calculus that I was already all, already taken care of. So when I got to when I got to WashU, uh, it was just a matter of taking the uh, operative courses for the two degrees that I got there. Great. And then systems engineering is... Uh, um, maybe not as common an option as certainly as computer science. Could you kind of give us a 30 second overview of what that is? Yeah. Systems engineering has different meanings in different places, different companies, even as far as I can tell. Um, but at least at WashU, it's sort of like an applied mathematics degree that's very focused on engineering and on complex systems. Um, like in most places, you can sort of customize an applied math degree to focus on whatever you're like, especially interested in. Uh, but systems engineering, yeah, it has sort of a, an unusual focus you can't find most places. And given my interest is mainly in the mathematical study of complex systems, um, it's proven to be super advantageous. Great. So the interesting thing about the dual degree program is when you arrived at WashU, you had already been sort of through college for three years. So you mm -hmm. were, I mean, again, you started as kind of like a junior, is that right? Yeah, basically. Right. So you were, you, when you started kind of day one at WashU, you were taking 300 level-ish classes, three, 400 level classes. So you, yep. you skipped all of those entry level classes. So how did, uh, how did your first, you know, day, week, month shape up at WashU? What was your experience like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I arrived nervous because, um, you know, it's a whole new environment. The people there are already familiar with each other and you're just the the random person coming in out of nowhere. The dual degree program actually does have a really solid community there. So it turned out that wasn't the case. Um, but certainly the nerves about like adjusting to a new academic environment were there all the same. Um, first week, 
I guess was like a lot of just trying to figure out what in the world was happening. Um, first month kind of settling into classes. Uh, and then after that, uh, figuring out different, I guess, sort of cultural norms. Um, one example being that I bombed my, uh, I bombed a midterm, my first, uh, my first semester at WashU. It was in, uh, I think, uh, like some, some senior level class. I think it was called operations research. Yeah. Yeah. It was operations research. Um, and the reason, as it turned out, was that uh, it was never explicitly stated that we were allowed to use computer solvers to solve problems on the exams. Uh, and so because the default in my past experience was that you can't, I assumed that you couldn't and did the entire thing by hand. Um, whereas apparently the default was like, if it's not explicitly mentioned, you can't, then go for it. And that was so bizarre to me. Um, though. Like, knowing that, I did well enough in the rest of the course that it was fine, still got an A. Um, but it was very much a shock to to realize I needed to be way more careful about, like, what exactly are the requirements, the, the standard, et cetera. Yeah. So there was that adaptation to whatever kind of the, the standards at WashU were versus... Because you did... It, so one of the confusing parts, I guess, is your other school had kind of set you up in terms of standards and WashU was potentially different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So interestingly on that, did you realize that as soon as you started the exam or did you? Only no, I didn't realize okay. until I got it back. And then like every single algebra mistake, it was, it was like basically like solving this type of algorithm called linear programming. Mm -hmm. um, and I was under the, again, the mistake impression you had to do it by hand. And like, it, there's some sort of like methodological understanding involved, but a lot of it ends up just being like, hundreds of algebraic operations over and over again right and i was not aware that uh like every single algebraic operation you got wrong would be one to two points like one to two percent off the whole exam um so actually i'm kind of impressed with how few algebra errors i made out of like the hundreds that i had to do um but yeah it was it's not a fun exam but i didn't realize how bad it was until i got it back like i figured it's like you know if there are a hundred algebraic operations, maybe it's half a percent right. per one. And since it was hundreds and each one was like a percent or more, it was, it was bad. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you recovered from that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, after the first semester and especially like partway through the second semester, as I like settled into a research setup and got a feel for how classes worked, I actually had a really wonderful time. Um, and so you did undergraduate research as part of their curriculum. Is that is that correct? Uh, yes. Yep. Which is atypical. I mean, I think students participated in in it, but uh, I think you know, that that is not the normal. So for that, you had to find someone, a professor, to work with, and then find a topic you wanted to research on. Is that correct? Yeah. Find might be the wrong word here because I sort of accidentally stumbled into a really amazing setup. Mm -hmm. um, basically, my my first semester, I think I had like one remaining upper div physics course I needed to take um, and got to WashU and suddenly found out that they have like an amazing set of biophysics courses available um, and I am particularly interested in like the application of physics and mathematical methods to solving problems related to, uh, to neuroscience especially like neuroscience and medicine um, so I found out this physics professor named Ralph Wessel was teaching a class called Physics of the Brain um, there's like two versions. There's sort of the like standard undergrad version. And then there's like a version for seniors or like first year grad students. Um, and I went with the second one because it seemed more like a little more fun version, basically. 
for both of them, you had to take like the the exams and everything. But for the undergrad version, you had homeworks, and then for the grad version, you had um, you had to create like a an NSF style grant proposal over the course of the quarter or sorry semester. Now that I'm at Stanford, I finally gotten used to calling them quarters. Um, so yeah, you had to create this this like NSF style grant proposal over the course of the semester, and then not only like present like not only provide the grant to the professor, but actually present it to the class um, on one of the, like the later days in the in the semester. And so I actually came with an idea that I'd kind of been toying around with uh, after I'd been working uh, at Princeton the previous summer doing research. Um, and I just presented on this idea I had for how to like work on the particularly weird type of neural networks that's actually really biologically relevant. Um, this, uh, this professor, Dr. Wessel, like came up to me at the end of my presentation, um, and he asked me, he said, "Do you want to do research on this?" Uh, and I said, "Yeah, I'm definitely interested in working on this kind of thing." And then he said, "Do you want funding for it?" Nice. Um, so I ended up like just kind of out of nowhere, ended up basically like running my own mini lab inside of his lab. Um, a younger, a younger undergrad, uh, who was like my research assistant. His name's Blake Bordelon. He actually was, I think, valedictorian, uh, in the engineering school the year after, after I graduated. And now he's at his, you know, he's at Harvard doing his PhD in mathematics. So oh, cool. very, very bright guy. Um, but yeah, it, it, it sort of a stumbled into it and it ended up being this absolutely amazing experience. Great. So it's kind of kicking off from there, what uh, favorite classes, professors, you know, kind of activities at WashU did you have? Yeah. So Dr. Dr. Wessel's Physics of the Brain class was definitely a highlight, um, as well as uh, Dr. Ben Mosley in the CS department, who actually is now at, at CMU, or Carnegie Mellon. Um, they, uh, they recruited him when his wife started a job as a psychiatrist in, in Pittsburgh. Um, he is probably the smartest person I've ever met and is amazingly personable and, and just a delight to be around. Not really despite that, but it's often unusual to see that among people as, as smart as he is. Um, but he taught this like this seminar class, which was called Advanced Topics in Theoretical Computer Science. And it was like some subheading about like extremal combinatorics or something. Um, and that is not an area that I am like inherently interested in in terms of mathematics um but i'd been working with him on research he'd been co-advising me with with dr wessel and i knew he was awesome and so i just wanted to take more classes with him basically mm-hmm. um and this this class was like a, like a yeah it's like a, like a phd course basically in in theoretical computer science um and it was so bizarre because there were like the lectures were sort of like an interactive discussion and then the assignments were basically he would give like those of us who were taking the class some incredibly hard problem um, that didn't have like a clear published solution or whatever. And then he would just sort of observe us as we worked as a group to try and solve it. Hmm. Um, like some of them were like problems that would normally be part of like a multi-day um, exam for like a qualifying exam for theoretical computer scientists. Um and he wasn't expecting us to get the right answers, which was good because I don't think we would have for the vast majority of them. So no. instead it was more about like teaching us to solve problems that just don't have the kinds of clear cut answers you see in undergrad classes um, and also how to do mathematics collaboratively. And I don't think that's an experience that you can get in virtually any um, sort of like standard math classes that are offered anywhere. 
Great. So you have these two, uh, at least these two classes, everything's going well. Uh, you finish with your dual degree uh, in that 2018 time frame. And, you know, I guess as you're coming up on 2018, what are you thinking about for your next steps? What do you think you want to do? Yeah, so I knew I wanted to go to med school eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to be able to bring uh, what is a rather odd perspective to the kind of research I want to do in the future as, as a physician scientist. Um in that I wanted to learn how sort of how theoretical physicists approach problems uh, and learn it in a great deal of depth. So it was made very apparent to me that there was no MD PhD program was going to take uh, someone who wanted to, who said like, I want to do theoretical physics for my PhD. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, so I applied to PhD programs um, actually in a variety of different fields, basically like, Anywhere that I could essentially do theoretical biophysics, I, and it was like, it was a very strong program as well. I applied there. So like I applied to a couple E departments, uh, some CS places, mostly like physics programs, essentially, mm-hmm. and a couple of random things. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was expecting like, maybe I get in one place and like, I would be, would have been, would have felt lucky about that. Um, did not play out that way. I ended up having like a lot of options that just blew me away. Um, and after talking with various faculty, either over Zoom or for a couple of things, for a couple of the schools with in-person interviews, um, I was very firmly settled on Stanford. Um, so I came here uh, summer of 2018 uh, to start a PhD in, in theoretical biophysics. Uh, and sort of a variety of circumstances conspired to make it clear that that was not something I wanted to finish. Um, though I am grateful for the training I got and I'm still applying that to my research going forward. And then again, for those that have not uh, looked up the uh, PhD program kind of approach, it's a couple of years of classwork and then mm-hmm. a lot of research. And a lot of it is kind of solo research, right? Like you might be part of a bigger lab, but it's essentially your research you're working on. Yeah, exactly. So then you figured out uh, I guess a year or two in that that wasn't quite what you were looking for. Yeah, so it, was, it was sort of a combination of, of a couple things. Um, I, I joined a lab initially, or I guess a research group initially, uh, that was is run by arguably one of the world's most widely recognized theoretical physicists who's active today. Um, and uh, I was like very much in awe of uh, his expertise and all that. Um, but as it, he, he, he had stated that he was moving his research from sort of a very esoteric branch of, of theoretical physics and was planning to establish a really strong presence in theoretical biophysics. So I was actually the first student he recruited um, to work on that stuff. Um, as it turned out, that was not really the case. Um, I think in total, he ended up with three or four students doing that kind of stuff. Uh, at least by this point. And I think at least two of us um, left because the focus was really still on string theory and mathematical physics and all this stuff. Um, so it just, and it didn't end up being a very productive environment um, for me. I loved, I loved the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't going well, I think largely for reasons outside my control. Uh, so at that point I was like, okay, I will switch labs Um and try to find someone else who's doing serious math related that I can like apply to medicine. 
Um, and that time around, I just got unlucky in that it turned out that pretty much all of the research groups at Stanford that were doing like really, really interesting quant research related to biophysics and medicine uh, were not taking students um, as of uh, as of like the start, like late spring. Uh, 2020, I think, was when I was looking for. So it's also like right when the pandemic hit that I was looking to switch uh, switch research groups. Um, so I had, I did end up getting somewhat lucky in that I uh, was recruited by a professor who does uh, machine learning for medical research um, named uh, Olivier Gavert, and he is he and Ben Mosley from Washu are are definitely the best mentors that I've had in terms of like learning how to do research really effectively and just like sort of just generally really wonderful people. Um, that's not to say anything negative about the other mentors I've had, just that like these guys are, are standouts among a, a group of people that I've been really fortunate to be trained by. Um, the, the trouble there was that I wanted to be doing math and machine learning right now doesn't involve much math. Like you learn some very basic stuff to like complete intro machine learning classes, but because neural networks are like most of what's happening right now in applied ML, you just end up writing software. Like you're, you're if you're doing ML research, most of the time these days you're just a software engineer. Uh, which is not to say this again. Like software engineering is fantastic, and there are people who love it, and more power to them. It's just not something that I really enjoy that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so decided to just take the masters and the extra year of research I'd done in machine learning. Uh, which ironically was actually pretty productive. Uh, I've got, I think, what should be three pretty solid papers um, getting ready for, like, sort of wrapping up writing them and, and doing some, like, last-minute experiments before we submit them. Um, but yeah, at that point, I uh, I was actually applying to, I applied to med school summer of 2020. Um, at that point, figuring that either I would, like, defer enrollment if I wanted to finish the PhD, if I got Stanford, I would just enter the MD PhD program automatically basically at that point. Um, or if I decided against deferring, then I would just like take the masters and, and go start med school. Um, it ended up being kind of a combination of those two in that I did get into Stanford among uh, a number of other places, um, decided to stay at Stanford for my MD, but also decided I wanted to just take the masters and, and be done with at least the, the PhD that I had been working on. So you decided against the MD PhD program, is that correct? Yes, I technically I was an MD PhD candidate here for like six months, um, from the point when I accepted the offer to uh, to do my MD here, and then the point where I officially withdrew from my PhD. Right, and I think a, a good note here is typically I think when we think MD or the doctors is the more clinical side, where you're seeing patients and and doing all that work kind of at at a clinic location, um, the MD-PhD program obviously is you both get a medical degree and a PhD degree, and then you focus some or a large portion of your time actually doing research again in your scenario, like in a lab. So you still may have some clinical responsibilities, but you'd spend a large portion of your time doing research. And as a result, I think it was a two years of medical school, then you take time to do kind of your uh, PhD, and then you go out and do your... Um, uh, clinical work the last two years is that right? Yep. Yeah, I would have I would have been doing the a, an MD PhD in a very backwards fashion, and that it's like three years into a PhD, then the two years of MD classes, then back for another year or two of PhD, and then back to the clinic. Yeah. Um, which yeah, like the, what you described is the very much the standard path. Um, I just was sort of yeah doing it doing it kind of backwards. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. The, the interesting thing about MD PhD programs that I don't I don't think is always conveyed like vehemently enough is in the majority of cases their goal is to uh, train graduates who will go on to spend about 20% of their time in clinic and the other 80% of their time doing research. Um, I am hoping for something more like maybe 50-50, certainly no, yeah, no less than 50% uh, clinical, probably more like 60-40, 70-30 leaning clinical. Um, I still want to be involved in, in a significant amount of research. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, the kind of research that I do doesn't require the sorts of like like you know 10 hour days at the bench pipetting things or playing around with cell cultures and stuff um it's very feasible to work on it in random moments and yeah it, it i think i think what i do is is a decent setup for someone who just is going to do an md i guess md ms now um and then go on to a career as a physician scientist and in fact i'm actually in um the sort of like physician scientist track uh, in the MD program here, um, which it, that's one interesting thing about Stanford is that they have like the MSTP, the medical scientist training program, which is the sort of standard MD PhD thing that the NIH funds. Um, and then Stanford also has a different thing, which is the PSTP physician scientist training program that basically adds an extra year to the MD and you get a ton of extra research experience, um, along the way. Very interesting. So, you are in, are you in your second year? I am in my first year. First year. I uh, okay. just wrapped up my first uh, first term uh, a couple weeks ago. And how's that coming along? Uh, really well. I, yeah, I, I, I knew it was going to be like challenging and a bit of a whirlwind, and it is. Um, what I didn't expect was just how much I would find myself thriving compared with graduate school. Uh, especially in that in graduate school, it often felt like, I had to fight to be perceived as competent or that my ideas were at all worthwhile. Um, and as far as I can tell, Stanford PhD programs are actually generally better about that than a lot of places. But still, it's sort of... This may have mainly been the culture of theoretical physics, but like it, it's very... It, it, it's The culture of theoretical physics is different. Uh, let me put it that way. It's hard to provide specific adjectives without seeming overly negative. Um, but if anyone's considering that, I would just say, like, be careful that you know what you're getting into. Um, whereas once I, like, after starting med school, I've, I've been surprised by how much the faculty uh, are very much, like, not only open to my ideas, but are actively encouraging of my interests and the sorts of things I want to be working on. Um, in fact, uh, at, the, at the encouragement of um, of a couple of faculty, I am writing a textbook right now on uh, applied mathematics, which is intended for audiences composed of like you know biology researchers, neurology researchers, uh, physicians, etc. Um, and uh, McGraw Hill has said they're writing up a contract right now to, uh, to publish that textbook, uh, which is blowing my mind because um, I wouldn't have imagined that being like at all possible a year ago. Yeah, so that's amazing. So maybe just back up. So, so you're sitting there and you're you know relaxing at home, and you're like, I just want to write a textbook. Like, how how did this all happen, right? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I uh, I was like about to start med school, like a couple weeks from the beginning, like 
maybe like a week or two before orientation started. And I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, there's all these people in, in medicine who, because like most of mathematics education prior to like upper division math degree, like math degree courses, uh, most math education before that is just terrible. Um, like even at good universities, it's very much like, like you just learn the formulas for calculus and you regurgitate them on the test and maybe there's a little thinking involved, but like they don't really ever teach why things work. And so you don't really get to understand what makes mathematics both powerful and beautiful. Um, and I was thinking about that, like how radically my perspective changed uh, once I got to the sorts of classes where you prove things, and you get to find out why things work the way they do. Uh, in fact, originally when I started college, I was like, okay, I'm going to learn math. Like I, I need to get some kind of math degree. I'm going to learn it so that I can do physics well, but I didn't actually like math. And then by the time I got to Wash U, it was like, okay, so not only am I going to do a math degree in the form of systems engineering, I'm also going to make my CS degree theory focused as much as possible. Um, and so I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, there's all these resources for teaching like biological and medical topics to quants, to computer scientists, engineers, physicists, etc. But as far as I could tell, there was nothing going in the opposite direction, teaching relevant math in an interesting way to the physicians and bioscience researchers. So I set up a meeting with a professor here who is the director of medical education research at the med school and just like was asking him like, are the, like is there anyone doing this? Because um, I'd love to chat with him about it. Uh, and he flatly said, he's like, no one's doing that. We've been wanting someone to do that, but haven't been able to find someone like qualified for it. And we talked some more and eventually basically like, I think some combination of him convincing me and me convincing myself started writing a textbook and it looks like I may be teaching a sequence of graduate courses uh, based on that same material here at Stanford in a couple of years, sort of alongside my medical curriculum and my research. So, so that's fantastic. And I think it touches on um, something that I'm also a big proponent of is if people don't know that you want to do something, if you don't ask them or tell them that you're interested in it, they're never going to give you an opportunity, right? Like, so I'm not diminishing your skills or capabilities in any way, shape, or form. But if you had not reached out, and I'm assuming you just went to Stanford's directory and tried to find the right person or asked around. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, no, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, just talking to people about the things you are genuinely passionate about right. is the best way to find opportunities, no matter what those things are. Because um, generally speaking, like, you know, there are some places where people are just not that nice, but at least at WashU and Stanford, my experience has definitely been that if you express excitement about something and a person has any clue what's going on in that area, or at least knows someone they think might have a clue, uh, they will direct you to that person. And then you can talk to that person and learn more, or they can direct you to someone who's more familiar and so on. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely the case that just like getting involved in and talking about the things that excite you is the best way to find amazing opportunities often by accident much like happened here right and again like you're a smart guy obviously you've got a lot going on uh, you know what you're talking about and presumably in the conversation whoever you were talking to was able to get a sense that like Bryce seems to know what he's talking about um, but in the same token and I think this is probably less well understood by especially undergrad students is you know, I'm always looking out for people to help me TA, people to help me do different things. And the, the best um, way to get people that I found is through references, either asking people I know or just interacting with people because it's so easy to figure out in a few minutes conversationally with someone 
you know, can you do what I'm asking you? And um, that's where, you know, having an alumni network, I think, is super important as well, because it's, you know, having that WashU connection means we have an understanding at least of what WashU was like. And we can, you know, talk about favorite classes or, you know, locations on campus and have that um, sort of introductory um, bridge that we can walk over to kind of meet each other. So that's that's great. So so you're writing a book. Um, I don't even know where to go from there. What what else is happening? How <laughs> what what's um, next, Bryce? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh... So I'm in this, this like, like I said, this physician scientist track. It's like a five-year version of the MD curriculum. Uh, there are two versions of it. Um, there's one where you take a full research year in the middle and another one where you actually split the second year's curriculum. It's like the second of the preclinical years of, of medical school. Uh, and you complete it in two years uh, where the rest of your time, those two years are spent doing research. Uh, so I'm preparing to apply for that. Uh, because after talking with the director of the PSTP program, uh, he, he convinced me that that's the better track for the kind of stuff I want to do. Um, and sort of along those lines, I am getting involved, like as a, as sort of the, the projects in machine learning from this past year being wrapped up, um, I am getting involved in uh, research on mathematical methods in, in medicine. Um, in that, I am basically trying to make those opportunities exist. Because uh, there aren't really groups that, like, you know, there, there are some CS people who will do algorithms for bioinformatics. Um, there are various mathematicians who do, like, statistics for biomedical applications, etc. Um, but there doesn't seem to be much of any crosstalk between people who work on complex systems and people who are actually going to try and make changes in clinical practice. Um, and so I have... Uh, seemingly successfully pitched uh, so a proposal that I've been thinking about for a while, actually, even when I was doing my PhD, um, for developing sort of a, a reinforcement learning kind of system. Um, it's like very much based in the sort of mathematics actually that I was learning as a CS and systems engineering major at WashU um, and can be used to potentially uh, improve cancer treatment. So it, it looks like I'll be working in working with uh, one or more neurosurgery research groups here. And that's the, especially I want to go into eventually is, is neurosurgery. And so I'll be working with some, again, with one or more, one or more groups in that department to use sort of their data um, and try to provide actionable uh, information for them for more experimental work. Great. So one of the things I've noticed, Bryce, is that you seem to really have an understanding of where you want to go and what you want to do. Do you have any thoughts on you know, how you came came to those conclusions or any tips for students that maybe are struggling a little bit to figure out where they want to be in the world? Yeah, I think part of my experience there isn't going to be very transferable, um, but ma mainly because I, I tend to have a pattern where I am interested in a bunch of things just because I want to learn how the universe works in as many fashions as I can. Um, but every so often I will encounter something where within like a few weeks of like total time spent working on or being around, like seeing how it works. Um, I have like an unshakable sense that that is the kind of thing I want to be doing for a very long time. Um, the first time this happened for me was with physics. Um, in fact, I first, I first encountered physics as like a seven or eight year old watching PBS documentaries with my dad. Uh, and, and I got some books on it and then basically told them like, I want to be doing what these people do. Um, 
So I'd, I'd known for a long time I wanted to study physics and mathematics and stuff. Um, and uh, I decided on medicine in terms of where to apply that um, after my father passed away. Um, so he uh, he had a genetic condition, um, which thankfully I have not inherited. I actually just got tested uh, a number of months ago, which was quite a relief. Um, but he uh, suffered some heart attacks very early, despite being in excellent health and having a good diet and all that. Um, the first time he had a heart attack, uh, apparently statistically should have killed him, um, but through the work of some really remarkable uh, cardiologists and surgeons, uh, he survived. Um, and so when he later passed away, I think a lot of cases like that, from what I have encountered people's response is to be angry at the medical system for failing to save the person but in that case i know like based on the timing of it there's not a very good chance that they could have even if things went perfectly um, so for me the takeaway instead was how much of a gift how much of an incredible gift were those extra two and a half years and i need to pay that forward um, so i decided on medicine when i was uh, 13 um, as far as like sort of getting more fine grained within that, this is the part that I think might be more transferable. Cause like my sort of tendency to find a thing and then become obsessed with it, like permanently, um, I think I understand is not all that standard, but what has helped me a lot in terms of, like I said, like finding a more fine grained understanding of what I want to be working on has just been gaining exposure to a bunch of things that look interesting. Um, I, I have tried out uh, an almost comical amount of different different sort of pursuits over the course of my life. I I tried theater. Uh, I have have done a lot of writing even before the sex. I've done a lot of fiction writing. Um, I tried everything from like computational biochemistry to quantum computing research in undergrad, and then also like the neuroscience and, and biophysics stuff I did. Um, and even in grad school, I tried a couple of random things. And so I think it's sort of like, it's sort of like with brainstorming in a sense. Like if you, if you come in and before you even like propose a thing, tell yourself like, no, that's a bad idea. Um, unless you're like dead certain it's a bad idea. Honestly, I think most of the time it's better to just give it a try. Like that doesn't mean you have to go and spend six months doing it or whatever. Like it could be as simple as just going and finding someone who does that, you know, in the alumni network or, or whatever, right. or a professor and just like having a coffee with them, just sitting down and talking to learn more about what it looks like in the real world. Um, so yeah, I, I think sort of a, a brainstorming approach, uh, that sort of mindset of there are no bad ideas, um, at least initially, is a really good way to explore and find things that you're passionate about. And I think uh, some people have a hesitation around like, I don't want to do this because I'm not going to be good at it. And I'm assuming some of those things, you know, you may or may not have been good at it, but, but the take home for you was I'm not passionate about this as I thought it would be, right? Yeah, and actually I would offer as sort of a counterpoint to that fear, which I totally understand. Um, for the longest time, I thought I was at best like, I sort of like on an absolute scale good at math, but on the scale of mathematicians and like theoretical physicists, mediocre at math. Um, and it was actually Ben Mosley, this the CS theorist that I mentioned earlier, uh, who disabused me of that notion. Um, 
in a particularly funny situation, actually, which is that uh, my second semester at WashU, I was like super confident. I'm like, okay, like I've got a handle on this. There's this graduate CS theory class. Looks super cool. This is not the one I later took with him. This is that was my fall of my my second year, my, my senior year at WashU. Right. Um, but so yeah, spring of junior year, I'm like, cool. I'm gonna take this this graduate theory class, like a PhD level course on approximation algorithms, which um, is his like area of research specialization. And he was gone at a conference, I think, for the first day of class. And so there was a T. His TA was there and like passed out these these like little sort of pretest things. Right. Um, and the TA, I through no like I don't think it was at all. It wasn't malicious or anything like that. They just actually did a very poor job of explaining what the point of this was. Right. And so the way they explained it was like this is to assess if you know enough to succeed in this course. And so when I was able to like struggle my way to maybe half of the answers, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is a very bad idea. I need to take, you know, actual undergrad algorithms theory classes right. before jumping straight to this. Cause at the time I was actually simultaneously registered for the like 300 level algorithms class. Right. Um, I was like, maybe, maybe I should take that first. Yeah. Um, and then come to find out, like, three months later, as I'm, like... Like, I ended up... Because I was taking this because I was working with Dr. Mosley and I wanted to learn more about it. But right. for some reason, I never specifically asked him about the pretest. And he even knew I was registered for the class because he was gone the first day and I dropped it right after that. Um, and I mentioned it to him. And he started cracking up. And I'm, like... I, I, I just, like, paused for a moment. I'm, like, why is this funny? <laughs> and he said, because I didn't expect you guys to get more than a quarter of them. Nice. So here I am thinking, I'm like, oh, great. If I take this class, I am going to bomb it. Right. And then actually I'm in like an amazing place, um, which I, I feel like the quarter has to be an exaggeration because I shouldn't have been prepared enough to do that well. Right. But still, like I, I, he sort of, he asked why, like why I had just immediately decided to drop it rather than waiting and seeing. And I was like, well, I don't think I'm anywhere near good enough at math for that. Um, and again, we've been working on research together for a number of months at that point, And he just, he's like, no, you're wrong about that. Like, you can do this stuff. You're good at it. Right. Um, and so I spent years thinking I was bad at math. Um, and then, like, the most intelligent mathematician I've ever met assured me that, like, because I was willing to, because I was willing to put in the effort. Like, it's not a matter of, like, you know, some kind of genetic intelligence or whatever. Like, it, the, certainly there can be differences there, but it's vastly more about just a desire to be good at it and willing to put the effort in to right. become good at it. Uh, and so the sort of change in perspective he provided has greatly informed uh, my subsequent sort of research and career in general. Yeah. And, and again, just to reemphasize the point, I think that college is an excellent time to take those opportunities, like you said, to brainstorm or take different classes because you can yeah. go and you know you can take a week's worth of classes and drop out right like no no harm no foul you can you could technically do that like you could take 10 classes and eventually cut that down to just five so i mean that's yeah that's the best time to do it because once you get in the real world as you know as you are probably intimately familiar with like your time goes away quick and yep. it's very difficult to find that breadth of courses so if you want to take oh yeah um, you know, whatever uh, romance languages like I did or, or any of the other kind of different than engineering classes, it's definitely the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I didn't, that I personally think people don't take advantage of enough at WashU 
is the fact that you can very easily audit or take classes pass fail. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just want to get like sort of a taste for something, like if you want a taste of it and you're confident enough you'll like it, that you want to actually complete some of the assignments on like a very casual basis, take it pass fail. It's right. a very it's a cool way to sort of explore and see what's happening um, without like it still counts towards your units. It doesn't count towards your specific major because those have to be like graded. Um, but like it still counts towards your unit for graduation, and it's it's sort of a cool way to to explore something new. And if you're if you're not at all sure if you're going to like something, just like audit it, and like it, it, even if like an audit is listed as incomplete, no one's going to care ever. Um, and even then, I I feel like any professor, if you're auditing it, like, even if you make it to like a third of the lectures, they're going to be like, yeah, fine, that's close enough. Um, Right. And indeed, I did that on one occasion. Like, I was auditing a class, and then I got busy and maybe attended, like, probably, like, half the lectures in the total course. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Um, so that can be an even lower stakes way to to explore something. Yeah. Um, I think that class was, like, a graduate course in the physics department on statistical field theory or something like that, which actually I later took at Stanford uh, as part of my theoretical physics training. Um, and I'm glad I didn't try to take it as an undergrad for a grade, because... Oh boy. Yeah. It was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And I was at Stanford. I was surrounded by a bunch of, like, it was like me, a couple experimentalists and like one condensed matter person, like, like a condensed matter experimentalist, um, like formed a study group because everyone else in the class was a bunch of string theorists and condensed matter theorists. And like statistical field theory is their bread and butter. Um, so there was like the, the five or six of us just like hanging on for dear life. Though actually most of us ended up getting A's, which was pretty exciting. Um, as you have like these, these string theorists and other guys who've like already taken this class before at their undergrad schools right. and are just taking it at Stanford because it's required. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Um, do you have any other advice you'd give to current students or potential alumni? Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm not in a great place to give alumni advice since I've only been, I only graduated from WashU like three and a half years ago. Um, unless it's alumni who are looking into like PhD programs or EMD programs, which I can sort of give as general advice to everybody. Um, but for undergrad specifically, I, I really do encourage as much exploration as you feel you have time for. Like, yeah, you have to pick at least one major. Um, you should pick a major that you think will both be something you enjoy and that you will find value in in the long term. Um, And so, like, your first year or two is prime time to just be sort of exploring willy-nilly, especially the first year. Um, But even later on, as, you know, a a junior or a senior, like, still, still do your best to find time to explore things. Just because, like, like you said, it's hard to find opportunities like that after you graduate. Um, and it's really, it's really a wonderful time to be taking advantage of the enormous breadth of just incredible researchers and instructors that WashU has. Um, and similarly along those lines, like talk to alumni. Um, I, at least all the people that I know from, from when I was at WashU and the alumni, like who are people who were already alumni when I was studying there, like we're very eager to talk to you guys. I guess now I'm talking to them instead of instead of you, Dante. But yeah. we're we're all very eager to talk to to talk to WashU undergrads. We we want to tell you guys about like what worked for us, what didn't work for us, what we wish we'd done differently, um, and sort of how we got to to where we are now, what our paths looked like, um, both 
I, you know, it's, it's always fun to talk about the things you're excited about, certainly, but also because we genuinely want to help you guys. Um, I, I have yet to meet any alumni uh, who doesn't feel that way. Um, and, you know, I'm sure they're out there, but it's the, one, of the, one of the main sort of rules for life that I have learned to follow uh, is just reach out to people. And if they're not interested, they'll say no. And you move on to the next person. Right. Like the, there is so little, like the stakes involved in just asking a person to chat with you about something are essentially non-existent. Um, you, you lose nothing if they say no, and you could gain a lot if they say yes. And especially among the WashU alumni community, a, a significant fraction, I would say the vast majority are going to say yes. Um, so just, just talk to people. Same with professors. The vast majority, if you ask them like, to get coffee to talk about their research, uh, most of them are more than thrilled because that's the thing they've dedicated their lives to. And so they, they tend to be pretty excited to talk about it. Right. Um, yeah. So just, just talk to people, explore as, as much as you have time for. Don't like, don't overburden yourself to the point where you're destroyed, like, like having a significantly hard time in the important classes for the things you're pretty confident you want to focus on. Um, but there's so much time available beyond like doing well in those classes that, it's it's worth doing a lot of exploring too um in terms of what i can suggest to both uh, alumni and current washu undergrads that's me more along the lines of getting into phd programs and md programs uh, and i suppose i'm qualified to speak on those because i ended up having a bunch of options in both cases um having having perfect grades and or perfect test scores doesn't matter as much as people often try to claim um with one exception uh if there is if there is nothing if you have done nothing that makes you unique or sets you apart um yeah you're gonna need to set yourself apart by having amazing grades and test scores um but some of my most remarkable classmates both in like when i was in the phd uh here at stanford and now in my md class are people who had like still good grades but not the sort of like near perfect grades people seem to think are necessary, at least when you're an undergrad, um, nor the kinds of test scores that would like blow people's minds. Um, instead, it's that they have something that they are very passionate about and they are all too happy to share that genuine passion. And they've demonstrated that they care a lot about it by doing something that is very uniquely them. Um, yeah, I, I think the focus that especially a lot of pre-meds have on numbers like oh I, I need to get this many volunteering hours i need this many leadership positions this gpa this mcat really misses the point uh which is that medical schools generally speaking are looking for people who are going to make excellent doctors and that has as much if not more to do with who you are as a person than it does with how well you can do on an eight-hour exam, that being the MCAT. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as much about numbers as people are going to tell you. Um, and especially if people are telling you that you don't belong in medicine or any other field because there is something about you that is atypical with regard to that field, 99.9% um, .9 of the time, those people are full of bullshit. And you should just flat out ignore them and find mentors who will actually encourage you to be your authentic self. I this is this was at the college I attended before WashU. Uh, my mentors at WashU were wonderful, 
uh, at the college before WashU, I had a couple really good mentors, but then a number who were just terrible. Um, and some explicitly told me repeatedly, uh, Bryce, you do not belong in medicine. Uh, and they're wrong about that. And I was pretty sure they were wrong about that even back then, but it still like was frustrating to hear. And given how things have turned out, I now know for a fact that they were dead wrong about that. Uh, if, if I had listened to them when they tried to tell me that, oh, like, you're not, you're not the standard pre-med, therefore you'll be a bad doctor. Like, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be as fulfilled. I wouldn't be flourishing the way that I am now. Um, and that same kind of thing is going to happen to people in a lot of fields. Um, whether the difference that you have is some different interest or a personality quirk or because you are from some underrepresented background that is discriminated against in a particular field. Uh, none of those things, like in the sense of preventing you from doing, to following your dreams, none of those things matter. Um, there, there are places that you can find that will respect and appreciate you as an authentic person. So don't, don't let people shut down your dreams just because you're not the default. You're not in the in the middle, like the middle standard deviation around the mean for some for some field, uh, and I think you're going to see a lot more people like that. Actually, honestly, in both directions at WashU, because a lot of the pre-meds are very much obsessed with with grades and MCAT and stuff. But then you'll also see a lot of people who do very atypical things because it's the kind of school that attracts people like that. Um, both have a place in medicine, but the the latter the the sort of atypical folks are often told that they don't uh and the people telling them that are, are wrong and i think that speaks also to the the sort of like you said non-traditional approach to medical school so you don't have to get perfect grades you don't have to be pre-med you don't have to have a biology degree none of that stuff is is kind of the norm anymore if it was ever before you don't have to go to medical school right after undergrad yeah, so a lot of yeah. these things, you know, I don't think apply anymore from what I've seen. And, you know, like to your point, you could doing computer science as a degree to get into medical school makes total sense. And for me, I ended up doing a master's in computer science. I thought you had to do an undergrad in computer science to do graduate studies. But did, not at all. Doesn't matter at all. You can do a graduate school in whatever you want. I could have gone to, you know, humanities or some other uh, branch and I would have just had to take more prereqs. It's the only difference. Yeah, there, there are some fields where I think that's a bit harder, if not borderline impossible. Like, like if you want to be a theoretical physicist and you don't have a degree in physics or applied math, or sorry, physics or like like some kind of math. Right. Um, that's going to be a lot of work. Well, like, I, yeah, you, you basically have to do one of those bachelors right. then subsequently. But like there are plenty of places where you can do that, go back and get an additional bachelors. Right. Um, it's more that like you can't go directly to grad school from those backgrounds. That said... Most fields aren't like that. They're exactly what you just described, Dante, which is like they, even if they don't actively encourage people from, from various backgrounds, a lot of them are still open to it. Um, and I, I do very much agree with what you said about the changing, so the change in how medical admissions works. Uh, you know, 30 years ago, it was almost everybody. It was just like, oh, I did a degree in biology or biochemistry or whatever. Um, and then I took the MCAT and then I went, got, went to med school immediately after undergrad. Right. Um, and more and more, uh, especially actually at the most competitive schools, um, like, you know, WashU, Harvard, Stanford, Johns Hopkins, et cetera, um, you see way more people who have done something atypical in undergrad or have had something they were really involved in between undergrad and grad school. 
either they went and worked in a research lab for a number of years at the NIH or at some other med school, or they worked as a software engineer. Uh, I have a classmate who was uh, a nuclear engineering officer on a Navy submarine for several years after he graduated from the Naval Academy. Uh, um, and now he's in med school here and he's doing amazing. Uh, we have we have a guy who used to be like special forces in the Singapore military, I think. Um, then did a PhD in in public health and statistics, and now is both a professor at Brown University and studying for his MD here. Wow! I don't know how that's physically possible. That's a lot. But he manages it, and like those kinds of random things uh, end up being valued more and more. In, in medicine especially. Uh, yeah, like, you know, 30 years ago, there were maybe, you know, a small handful of people like me anywhere in medicine, and they were kind of told to, like, leave their interest in math at the door. Um, but that's not been the case in my experience at all. Great. All right. Um, any final closing comments? Uh, I want to reiterate... Uh, the, what I talked about earlier about like explore as much as you can while you're at Washu and just talk to, to as many people as you can who are doing things that seem even remotely interesting. Talk to alumni, talk to professors, talk to older students, talk to younger students. Uh, there are so many people with, with different perspectives and I think it's more, it's, it's more unusual at a place like Washu to find someone you can't learn from than it is to find someone you can. And that I'd say the vast majority of people have something cool they can teach you about life or about about science or philosophy or law or whatever. Like, there's so much breadth and depth available all over campus. Um, and those same principles don't go away when you graduate. Yeah, it's, it's harder to explore a lot of academic subjects after that point, but you can still reach out to people and, and talk to them uh, throughout your, your whole career. Or at least I infer that from the fact that it's continued to work really well for me even you know, three and a half years after I graduated. Right. And there's been right. no indication that it'll ever stop being true. Yep. So yeah, ex exploration is, is one of the best parts about being at WashU and even after you graduate. Um, just, yeah, don't let yourself get sort of uh, like pigeonholed into something either by yourself or other people and don't let yourself get stagnant. Great. Well, thank you so much for the time, Bryce. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate you appreciate your coming on and yeah, look forward for to uh, hearing your updates as you continue through medical school and becoming a wonderful doctor. Thanks. Yeah.